So, Tracy, Sam, stoked to have you both here on the podcast. Why don't you both give me a couple of, uh, of, of snippets of your background, kind of like how you got your start with, you know, government intelligence and how you made that transition into, you know, corporate competitive intelligence and where you are now. Um, it'd be great to get started. Let's start with you, Tracy. Sure. So um, when I was growing up, I wanted to be a pilot. And I found out early on in high school that I was never going to be a pilot because of my eyesight. And after a lot of bitter tears, I decided that if I couldn't be a pilot, I wanted to be in an intelligence. So um, I was I, um, was very well behaved all through high school and college. I never did any drugs. I used to pass the joint from the person on my left to the person on my right. I used to um, babysit friends when they dropped acid, you know, things like that. But I never touched a single drug. And then fast forward to my senior year of college, I took aptitude tests for NSA. I scored very well. They interviewed me on campus. Um, then they brought me out to, um, <laughs> reading Sabo's comment, they, uh, NSA brought me out to the DC area where Fort Meade specifically to, um, for three days of testing and interviews and a polygraph. And I learned at that polygraph that up till that very point in time, it didn't matter what I had done in the past <laughs> with, with recreational drug usage, et cetera. <laughs> um, but to this day, I still haven't touched it just. Fun fact. Um, I don't so, know, Tracy. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. You seem like you're a little. I'm, just... <laughs> I'm naturally this way. <laughs> naturally, so chill. I. Oh, no. <laughs> so um, after several months of background checks, etc., cetera, uh, I got the job offer. And that September, I went out to Fort Meade and started my career as an intelligence officer there. And um, so, yeah, that's how I got started. How about you, Sam? Yeah, so my on my end, it was uh, similar but different, you know, different time, different path. So I joined the U.S. Marines as a officer while I was in college. So showed up at the at the officer selection station, said, hey, I want to I want to join the Marines. And, you know, some some folks who are familiar with the military know that many times you will go in knowing what your job is going to be. If you score a certain test score, you know, they'll, they'll give you a contract so you, you don't get stuck doing something you hate. Uh, for officers, it is, it is not that way. At least it certainly was not that way when I was going through. So basically, you, you go through and you undergo a certain amount of training and you kind of have your, your idea in mind of what you want to do for a job. Me, I, want, I was very gung-ho, wanted the traditional experience of becoming an infantry officer and leading a platoon of Marines in combat, that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, six months into doing field exercises and getting yelled at and having other people, you know, question me and stuff like that. I was going, you know, maybe I'm actually a much more relaxed person relative <laughs> to my peers than I originally anticipated. Uh, and so I, I didn't, uh, didn't list infantry as my top my top priority i listed some intelligence fields as as my top priority but those are of course much harder to come across um especially in the marines only a i think there were only about 70 signals intelligence officers when i when i became a intelligence officer so when i completed training got selected to be an intelligence officer specifically a signals intelligence officer that deals with uh 
communications and the interpretation of communication. Um, yeah, there were there were a couple dozen of us in in that field, and so I took that. I did a few a few years in tactical roles, so as platoon commander for Signals Intelligence Marines. Did some deployments, um, and I closed out my intelligence career at Fort Meade. I was stationed there as a Marine, working for working for NSA on on a lot more public side than uh, than anything Tracy did, but we can. We can talk about that in a minute, but that was that was how I got into intelligence, and also how I went from being on the tactical side to working in the in a similar setting to to what Tracy did during her career. Yeah, that's, that was fascinating. I think it's a it's funny how both of you are so relaxed too. Both of you are so relaxed, and that's and so I'm assuming that anytime you know something happens within the competitive landscape, you probably approach it with a similar kind of tenor very relaxed like you know exactly like how you're going to go about things you don't it's it's probably a lot different you know uh from like a corporate competitive intel perspective less pressure than like a marine yelling at you right sam i mean you'd be surprised at uh at what some of these corporate corporate sales and marketing folks can get into but yeah i think tracy can attest to this as well it's just you're dealing with a a whole different part of the spectrum when you're talking about the stakes and the consequences and the pressure level that not just we would be under, but all of the people who we are answering to are are under different level different levels of pressure than what we have been previously used to, and you know it it rolls downhill, right? So if they're right. under pressure, we're under pressure. If they're chill, we're chill. Yeah, yeah. So, so Sam, I was going to say uh, that. Oh, go ahead, no, I was just going to follow up and say um, a follow on to Sam is that it's a totally different game or totally different kind of pressure. Um, it can be in the intelligence world when you're when you're supporting real time operation, military operations out there. And when people's lives are on the line, once you transition over to corporate intelligence, competitive intelligence, you just you you appreciate that at the end of the day it's just about money you know it's about money it's about market share it's about really important things but it's not life or death and mm -hmm. that makes a big difference and i think that allows um one to be a little more chill maybe that's what you're what you're observing <laughs> mm -hmm. it absolutely is um, Tracy, why don't you tell us, so why did you end up making the transition then into corporate competitive Intel? Oh, I was afraid you were going to ask me that. So I was, um, 12 years in, um, and I met a guy <laughs> who did uh, not guy. live one in of the Washington DC area. And so, um, we decided to pursue our relationship, which meant one of us had to move and he had just returned to the, to California from five years in Japan and he wasn't moving to the DC area. So I took one for the team and resigned, um, and moved out to California. And when I got here, it was kind of like everybody's hiring, nobody's hiring. You know, like everybody supposedly was hiring, but I couldn't get an interview to save my life. Um, and so I just one day decided to start my own competitive intelligence business. Those were the types of jobs I was looking for. I decided to start my own consulting firm and I blasted it out in an email back to friends. This is 
pre-Facebook. So I just sent an email blast to friends and one of my friends came back and said, what is competitive intelligence? So I told him and he said, well, I need some of that. So he was my first customer. (laughs) And um, so I did consulting for uh, the better part of six years on my own. I actually had employees. I contracted out with other people when I needed support. Uh, Accenture was my sugar daddy. And um, I also had um, good contracts with Sony Europe and Motorola and some others. But yeah, that's what I did. And I could tell you what I did after that if you want. But um, yeah, yeah. No, that's, yes. that's fascinating, too, because you so you kind of took it, you took exactly like what you seemed like you learned with like, on the like government intelligence side mm-hmm. and you applied it in your own way directly. Whereas Sam, correct me mm-hmm. if I'm wrong, you went, is, did you go straight into HubSpot after, um, after your time in the, in the military? Yeah. Yeah. So actually I was still in Afghanistan when I got hired by HubSpot. Oh, so, wow. oh that's okay. a good story. <laughs> yeah, so how, doing... how did that happen? Yeah. So I, um, so I was up for orders. I had actually managed to squeeze in this. I was like, beg, bought, and stole my way into Afghanistan, basically, um, because I was sick of sitting behind a desk. And so I had managed to get this deployment to Afghanistan, even though it was going to butt right up against when I should have been getting orders to go to my next duty station. And basically, if you if you get a set of orders, you can either accept them and you go do your next job, you stay in the military, or you can decline them, in which case you have 30 days to, and you tender your resignation and you have 30 days to get out. So I knew I was going to either go move on, or if I ended up not, not liking what I was going to move to next, um, then I was going to have a very quick turnaround to, to get out and uh, get back to Afghanistan, get back from Afghanistan, get my house sold, move up to wherever I'm going to go. Um, and then for a lot of family reasons, I ended up wanting to get out of the military around that time. Also didn't quite get the set of orders that I was looking for, um, but that's kind of neither here nor there. But for a lot of family reasons, I wanted to move back to New England. Obviously, ton of tech jobs out in Boston, especially in you know the 2019 timeframe, looking for a lot of good opportunities around there. And you know, I'm saying if I want to buy a house, get my family established if I don't want to start over from ground zero with a whole new career and a new whole new place. Like, where can I use my Intel skills? And right around that time, HubSpot was was just starting a brand new competitive Intel program. And so they wanted to bring in someone with intelligence experience rather than necessarily tech and SaaS and marketing experience. And so it was really just right place, right time for, for what I wanted to do. And ended up walking into a, a really amazing opportunity to, to get started and learn at HubSpot. That's awesome. So l- let me add on to that a little bit, Sam, because so you, you came into the tech world, you started working at HubSpot, you had, you had worked for a tech company prior to that, you really only had like your government intelligence experience. Now, you've spent so that was 2018, right? So it's been about four ish years now that you've been you were at HubSpot, you're at Zoom Info, now you're at Lucid it's a pretty decent amount of time now to where you can kind of understand, okay, maybe how things traditionally operate in the tech space as it relates to corporate intelligence. I'd love to hear your perspective on maybe how you believe that your background now with 
um, the government intelligence side of things, how that maybe gives you a leg up or like that different perspective than traditional corporate competitive intelligence. Does anything stand out to you? Yeah, and I think I think there's kind of always an element to bringing diverse backgrounds together being beneficial just because you're getting so you know a different combination of experiences is always going to get you a different slightly different nuanced perspective but i think in particular the thing i learned the most from just doing intelligence work and especially intelligence operations work day in and day out was just like a general intellectual curiosity and really questioning kind of every fact and every piece of information that comes across and i think that's something that most intel people will share is just kind of this deep obsession with like thinking about thinking and being very meta about everything that we're kind of analyzing it's you know it's not just what is the content of the message it's why am i seeing this message why am i not getting other perspectives if this is the one that's being represented to me like what motivation did the person have to say these things that i'm reading now and really kind of that helps tie into like analyzing root causes looking at things from a strategic perspective and like questioning bias and all these other things that are really helpful for doing deeper analysis and assisting decision makers but you know it's for me it's less about like any specific skill and more just a mindset on on how i approach facts and information does that resonate with you too, Tracy? How, how like how does that compare? Absolutely. With, uh, with I was hoping, yeah, I was hoping you wouldn't ask me to expand on that because that Sam summed it up absolutely spot on. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that totally makes sense. I mean, uh, I imagine that there's so much more that we could be learning as like a just a collective intelligence uh, group if we included more of these different kind of like perspectives, I think that I, I mean, I've heard kind of the same mentalities and frameworks from a bunch of different tech folks again and again and again. But I will say that I a hundred percent agree that the mindset of like questioning, being naturally curious, that is the one thing that always persists amongst like amongst intelligence professionals. And so that definitely, that resonates with me specifically too. I'd love to yeah. learn, um, Tracy, if like there are any specific, like, I mean, again, because I know that uh, it was slightly different in terms of like the intelligence work that you were doing, um, but were there any like specific workflows or anything that you learned specifically like during your time with like the government intelligence side that you've tweaked maybe a little bit and you've applied to your uh, corporate intelligence work? Yeah, I did want to follow up a little bit on what Sam said and, and it kind of answers your question as well. Andy. Yeah, totally. And that was, um, you know, I, I learned, I, I, I truly believe that people, good analysts are wired, their brain is wired a certain way, right? And I happened to right out of college, find a job that my brain was wired for. So I was very fortunate. But I also benefited from a lot of informal mentorships of peers through peers, really of on, on the job training, learning by observing. I also was able to take advantage of the National Cryptologic School, which is NSA's academy, basically. And I learned everything from how to read a map to how to analyze and fuse information together and tell a story. Um, and I learned a lot about communications as well, because NSA is all about 
signals communications. And that helped, that has helped me in the tech world, just in general, like understanding the lingo, the language, the, uh, the concepts of communications has been really helpful. Um, as far as processes go, I think it, you know, the fundamental one is, you know, collection, you know, analysis, conclusion or, you know, fusion of the data and then dissemination or reporting of the information. I know it sounds so basic, but it's, but it's what, it's a cadence of what we do, right? Um, sorry, I've got a dog that wants to be picked up. <laughs> oh, you're good. Let's see it. That's it. <laughs> Hang on, here she is. Big to see. Oh, what's her name? <laughs> her name's Bella. <laughs> oh, Bella, my uh, my family dog uh, back home in Michigan. Her name is Bella too. That's super cute. I think it's one of the most common female dog names on the planet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably is. You're so, right. so um, anyway, um, I think there are other things that I've learned um, by doing in the government, like collaboration. Um, is not something that comes naturally to a lot of people. I kind of learned how to do that. Um, that was through interagency efforts. And um, I ended up by the end of what I was doing, I was a subject matter expert in a specific topic. I brought people from all over the intelligence community in working together to solve a major problem. Um, and I learned, you know, I, I honed those skills. And I think, you know, those have served those types of skills have really served me well over the rest of my career. This episode of the Healthy Competition Podcast is brought to you by the Healthy Competition Community. Whoa, can you believe that? The Healthy Competition Community is where product marketers, competitive intel practitioners, and other go-to-market pros share best practices and act as a sounding board for questions that Google can't answer. Over a thousand messages are exchanged every month, despite there being less than a hundred members in the community. Now, I'm a firm believer in prioritizing high quality topics of conversation and building authentic connections over member count numbers. So this piece is super important to me. But with that being said, if you listen to this podcast, then you'll probably love being in the community. So join today at healthycompetition.co. That's healthycompetition.co. Now back to the episode. When you say the like the collaboration piece, or mm -hmm. do you do you mean that just like you you feel like in the corporate intel world, the intelligence professionals are more like siloed off, whereas you prefer to collaborate with other teams? Is that kind of what you're getting at there? Yeah, I would uh, say that that is that is a problem inherent in a lot of corporations. Um, that I think CI people try to solve too. We try to break down those silos. We try to get rid of the stovepipes, um, but it takes uh, know-how to do that and uh, or just someone who's really determined um, to make that, to, to create a truly collaborative environment. Mm. Yeah, I can totally see that. Sam, is there anything that, that is like jumping to your mind in terms of process that, that stuck with you over the past few years? Yeah, so something something that's interesting to um, to kind of build on what Tracy was closing there with about don't want to be siloed, you want to be collaborating with people and working together. And that's definitely a huge part of it. Like when I worked in the NSA's operations center, I mean, every 12 hours we were plugging into this literally global system to have a meeting of just what's happened in the last 12 hours. Um, but I actually think there's an element to maintaining some of those silos and maintaining some compartmentalization to help 
with individual analytic processes. So, you know, many CI teams are very small. It's like one to three people um, on a team, very often just one person. And so there's a kind of tendency that I've seen of people to work totally in the open and like really try to bring in stakeholders for that because you have to, because you can't rely on having a big team to only show up and deliver final, final intel. Um, but I think we lose some of that deeper introspection on the content that we're creating when we work completely with non-Intel people. Like we only bring in and co-create content with our stakeholders because you know they're not wired the same way. They're not thinking about problems the same way. They want to jump very often. If you think of like a VP of sales, they want to jump straight into coming up with a solution. And that was the same problem that we would have, you know, if I'm bringing this to the general in charge of the combat zone, like they want a solution. They don't want to sit here and like debate conceptually, like why a certain message would be reaching an audience. They just want, they just want to come up with the solution. And the same thing happens in a corporate setting. And so what I like to do is do collaborative workshops. So, you know, even if you don't have an Intel team, if you can grab you know, the market research person, the UX research person, someone else who like works on NPS and come together and do some sort of a structured workshop around Intel. So, you know, I do like, I'm a big fan of different structured analytic techniques. So like bring in a team, do run through an analysis of competing hypotheses exercise, for example, and have that kind of analyst time where it's less important to me what framework we're using and more important that we're having a conversation around our intelligence where it's just like us intelligence analysts, just us insight folks who are kind of talking through this. So we don't need to come up with an answer for the boss right there in the room while we're thinking about it. Um, and that's one thing that I've, that I've taken and it doesn't necessarily mesh as well with like flat corporate structures, very small teams, like a bias towards cross-functional working. And it's definitely difficult to pull off in a hybrid environment. And so that's why it's like something I try to keep in my mind is we should be doing this, but it's a hard thing to do. Is that something where like you would only really try to get these different stakeholders together when there's like a strategic competitive change or update or would you do that consistently like every other week try to get a few folks together to like parse through a couple of updates or like what's the cadence with something like that yeah so so currently i mean there's there's just that would be ve very heavy touch to yeah. bring together like a cross-functional working group every week or anything like that and so the times when i've implemented in a corporate setting it's been for either something very specific like we're doing some sort of a quarterly campaign that we want to plan around, or it's been as a professional development step. And so bringing together a, a team, if you have a regular team meeting and walking through it to workshop through something rather than something that we can actually stand up as like, hey, this is a persistent working group. It would be awesome if we could do that. I used to do that all the time on the government side, mm -hmm. but one thing that I don't borrow from my government experience at all is the approach to efficiency. Um, because you can think if you're just 
kind of playing with like monopoly money on the on the government side of the house versus really needing to keep the lights on in a corporate setting like you can have weekly monthly workshops where you bring in a dozen people and they pause wherever they're working on to to go do this thing if i had to bring in a sales team like once a month to to do a workshop with me like we wouldn't be able to afford that from a time and productivity perspective that totally makes sense uh and i've seen i've you know I'm in my experience as well. I've found that it also is super beneficial to at least finding the people that are, you know, collaborators, maybe on like the specialist or individual contributor kind of level and finding the people that are just inherently driven to competitive Intel. And like, they already kind of think in that way, but it's not their normal like profession Um, and just getting them more in the loop on, like the things that you're working on. I found that having those kind of partners cross-functionally that will just like ping me randomly uh, and we'll just kind of brainstorm on an ad hoc basis. That's super, super valuable. So it sounds like you you found something similar too. Yeah, no, totally. I think I think that's so huge to find your your people that are interested and then like as they're engaging with you, don't let them leave. But <laughs> Have, yeah. that, have that stake of, you know, hey, here's all this great information I just shared with you. And while they're showering you with praise and thanks, and they're so grateful that you're there, you're like, oh, and also, can you tell me X, Y, Z, here are my on-cue requests where I've been waiting to get somebody's perspective on. And so you kind of just cultivate that as it's going by just pull that conversation out, pull that thread more and more. People, people love sharing their opinions and sharing their thoughts if you if you give them a chance to. Yeah, totally. All right, so let I want to pivot slightly and I want to talk about preconceived or or like misconceptions potentially about working on like the government intel side of things. And Tracy, so I'm going to start with you on this one. I'm curious if throughout your career like when you've mentioned, you know, um being so involved in the government intel side of things if, if you if you found that people think about government intel in a specific way that might be incorrect or um you found that you have to correct people and like what they typically assume that means in terms of a profession um especially like in the corporate intel side of things like is there anything that jumps to mind for you as it relates to you know misconceptions or anything like that that you want to yeah. you want to address yeah, it's not all alias, 24, Homeland, yeah, no. Mission Impossible. No, um, it's Sam and I had talked about this last week, or, or I, I was talking to somebody about this last week anyway. It's, I can't tell you how many times a friend has said, well, I saw such and such on 24. Can we really do that? And and I my, my um knowledge is dated at this point so perhaps we can but back then when people were asking me those questions it would be like uh no (laughs) um so i think there's you know like did you always pack a gun you know did you use your weapon i'm like come on people if they only knew how mundane 90 percent of my work was you know day to day um they would laugh but um that's not to say I didn't do some fun things. Well, what I look back now and say is fun back then, it might've been terrifying, but yeah. Um, So I think there's a misconception about like just the technology and what can be done. Although, like I said, I'm sure we've taken great strides in the years since I've been in, 
Um, and there's a misconception about um, kind of the sexiness of it all, you know, I would say. Um, yeah, those are the two things that stand out for me. What about you, Sam? Yeah, I would, I would echo Tracy's comment on just like 90% of the job was for, so for me, and especially in an operational role, like 90% of the job was reporting that there was nothing to report. Like, <laughs> the absence of information was the infidel. Like, yep, we still looked at that spot on the ridge and there's still nobody there. Um, it's just a huge, huge part of it. Um, and that's I, really I, tactical military intelligence <laughs> literally is the guy on the raids no Did the, yeah the uh but i think the other part too that people have a hard time conceptualizing in a corporate setting is the scale that even, even a relatively entry-level intelligence analyst at the u.s government level is operating at like on my first deployment on the tactical side i had 30 people working for me and we were in five different locations working three or four different, completely different missions um, at, at the same time for nine months on. And so, I mean, I think that is like a entry level managers level of responsibility. Um, whereas, you know, you level that up to a competitive intelligence team in a corporate setting, like, you know, I'm not sure what it looks like exactly at like IBM and Salesforce, but I mean, like having 30 people on a competitive intelligence team would be, would be nuts, but that's well, it's even, it's even less than, yeah. I think like, uh, when I was talking with, um, Dan Hamilton, he's the VP of CI over at Salesforce. I think he said that his team is like 12, something like that. And you know, that's like the, that's like the true, you know, competitive Intel team, mm -hmm. you know, there's other product marketers and other people that, um, you know, still might dabble in CI and whatnot, but it's not their full-time thing. But even still, 12 for Salesforce, which, you know, I don't know how many employees are at Salesforce right now, but, you know, tens of thousands kind of a thing. And so you're right, very, very different from uh, from your experience. Yep, just a massive, massive, massive scale. You know what I mean? And it's just coming, coming from, so literally when I went from Afghanistan to HubSpot, I went from having 300 people, working direct directly supporting my organization i was doing ops so i wasn't in charge of that organization but 300 people working for my organization to one person when i when i went to hubspot and yet the you know number of people that were supporting you know at the time it was like a couple thousand at at hubspot um by I mean we were not working with a an organization that was 300 times the size of, of HubSpot. So we had a ton of intelligence resources around that. And so people think of like the spy movie levels of intelligence certainty and like the, the really cool looking Intel products that they have on there. Like if that existed, it would be produced by a team of, of a couple hundred people. And so when you scale that down to corporate, like, Hey, you're you're lucky you're getting a couple Slack notifications a day that makes sense in the competitive environment because it takes a lot of resources to do Intel. It totally does. Yeah. How did you like how did you make that transition of having so much of so much support, like hundreds of people 
to then just one other person like did that take some getting used to or like I also imagine you did or maybe you did did you have like tight-knit relationships with all of these people that worked under you like on the government intel side or like how did that how did that change so I I cert I certainly didn't so it, it differed depending on where I was at another thing about me on the military side this probably didn't apply as much to Tracy but I mean I moved roles like 18 every 18 months for nine years uh, so like I had a lot of different things that I did during that time and like yes the team of marines that I deployed with um about 30 of us that went out and we were together for two and a half years about like yes had very first middle last name of of all those people but you know the 300 folks that I dropped in on in Afghanistan to work with like yeah, some some folks I knew, some folks I didn't, and it so it kind of worked. We had that stratification, like a large corporate environment. Um, but I mean, Tracy, in terms of making the transition, I think going out on your own immediately from the intelligence community is probably quite different because I still had tons of support when I showed up at HubSpot. Like they weren't they weren't working for me, and I had to ask. But you know, we right. had a more resources we had a lot of I had a lot of people I could pull from and a lot mm -hmm. of people who could show me the way if I did yeah no I didn't have that so much you know you touched on so many things in the last five minutes that I wanted to to follow up on um, one of them was I think it's very different between mil military and civilian career progress progression like when I went to NSA, I told my manager read my resume, basically my application. And I said on it that I wanted to be a mid-level manager. He laughed so hard, you know, it, he cried. I mean, he just thought, that's so funny. You want to come in straight out of college and be a manager. Blah, ha, 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 ha. And it did take time to progress up the ranks and become an actual manager of people, et cetera. And then you're just kind of, well, you're given training, but you're also kind of thrown in. Um, but the nice thing as a follow-on to that is that at NSA, like the sky's the limit. If, if, if you're working on a specific target or area of the world or something, and you're not happy or you're bored or you, you want a change, there's always something different to do. You can deploy overseas, the same with CIA, you can go overseas, you can just go down the hall and anywhere in between. Um, there's always something new and different to do um, because it's such a big organization. Yeah, 100%. and as far as, oh, and as far as knowing everybody in your group, I just wanted to follow up and say too, um, it was a pretty, the intelligence community is pretty tight knit and we tended to socialize with people from work. We tended to date people from work um, and it was very insular um, because you couldn't go to the bar and talk about work, you know, at the end of the day. That's true. Um, That's true. You went to people's houses and you're all, you know, you check to make sure you're all cleared for the same thing and you might have a discussion, but probably not. Um, so yeah, it's very, very um, limiting uh, in some ways. Um, although in the DC, immediate DC area, anytime you say Department of Defense, uh, people are like, oh, you must work for NSA. 
<laughs> so um, there are, you know, there is some general awareness, but for the most part, it's very, you know, insular, like I said. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, I feel like we could keep on going for, for hours. I have so many other <laughs> questions about this. And this is like a topic that I really hadn't touched on at all before. And so it was fascinating getting to, to talk to both of you. We didn't even touch on what you're currently doing. So Tracy over at Freshworks, Sam over at Lucid. And so we'll have to do like a, a part two to, to learn a little bit more about what you're both currently up to. Um, but in either case, I do think that we need to wrap up. We're almost at time. And so I'll just pass it off to both of you to just, again, kind of uh, share where folks might be able to follow you or if they want to reach out to you and ask other questions where they might be able to do that. Sam, we'll start with you. Yeah, so I'm I'm not uh, super active in the social media sphere. I think that may be a holdover from my from my intelligence community and bias for, for privacy there. Um, but, you know, people can always find me on, on LinkedIn. Um, and then... If it's helpful, uh, I can provide a private email um, here for folks as well. Perfect. Awesome. Thanks, Sam. Appreciate that. Tracy? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. I have a lot of people that connect with me regularly for different webinars or podcasts or whatever that I do. I'm happy to you know, jump on a call and talk about whatever you want to talk about if it has to do with Compete. And um, yeah, so LinkedIn, I think my my um, profile is T. Berry Fine. But if you search on Tracy Berry and Freshworks, you'll find me. Perfect. All right, Tracy, Sam, appreciate both of you. Thank you so much for spending time with us. For the past 45 minutes, I learned a lot. We'll call it there. Thanks, Nicole, Christine, Zalo for joining us. And uh, we'll see you next time. Hey, you made it to the end of the episode. I have one small favor for you now. If you could please rate this podcast five stars wherever you're listening to it, that'd be super helpful for me. For Spotify, you can only leave a review on the mobile app, and you can do that on the top of the Healthy Competition podcast profile. And for Apple Podcasts, you have to scroll to the bottom of the show's page and click write a review. Each podcast episode takes about five hours of my time from beginning to end while reviewing it should only take about five seconds of your time. Plus, you'd be making my day. So thank you so much in advance and see you in the next episode.